This is NBR's Live from the Hive, a compilation of the week's top stories straight out of the beehive. Do you have something to add? Head over to nbr.co.nz and join the discussion. Roll up, roll up, get your policy here. It's like a policy party. I'll tell you what it's like. It's like those TV ads that go, buy one, get one free. But wait, there's more. Why now, Brent? Edwards, for the lifting of all those remaining COVID restrictions. Why now? Because, I mean... That's right, why now? Why now? Well, I mean, obviously some people said, oh, two months before the election. But to be honest... The government had said at the beginning of winter when it actually extended them that it would look at it before the end of winter and essentially signalled if things were going okay, they'd be gone. And of course, it got criticised for extending them, although I don't think that they'd actually have much impact on most. You'd imagine most people, if you got sick with COVID, you would stay home. It's not a big. And then removing the mask wearing in health um, facilities, yeah, you're going to question that. I mean, it, obviously, there have been people who are actually worried about that, those who are compromised, immunocompromised or with disabilities feeling they're being put at risk but I mean I think the government it was interesting. Well, I mean, why five could, weeks out from the election? Six well, weeks out from well, the election. Well it, yeah. because this was the timing the government said it was going to review it so I mean it had signalled well ahead months ago that was and it had, had indicated that all going well they'd be dropped and So you what, know, everything, what, there's only what 5,000 or so, you know, a week or so ago who had well, it. And how many it, deaths? It, all's going know, well, is it? I know, it, it is interesting. And the, and the winter flu season all going well, is it? Well, in fact, well, the winter flu season apparently is going well. The hospitals oh. apparently have got <laughs> through the season pretty well, according to the health minister, Dr. Asha Viral. Um, COVID yeah. cases only make up 2% of people going into hospital. So oh. from the perspective... Fluffy. now. The difference is, look, COVID is here to stay. It's not going away. Live what they're it. saying is it's endemic, so now you have to live with it yep. and manage it through the um, health system. The VM said that they take taken official advice. Now, I find that very interesting because they also took official advice on taking GST off fresh fruit and veggies, and the advice being... Don't do it. It's not workable. Ah, Grant. Now, now I've, I've just got to explain something for to you. The the announcement on COVID was a government announcement. Oh. The announcement <laughs> on GST or fruit, fresh fruit, vegetables was, was a Labour Party announcement. Oh. You see, there is. <laughs> they well, don't I, get official advice no. for the Labour Party. No, but the but. Robertson, <laughs> Robertson has basically said it I know. originally it's not workable. Now he's saying it's workable, yeah, and then yeah. he says we've taken advice. But you know that they haven't taken advice because the people who give advice no. are wrong. No. I mean, look, it is it is remarkable because pretty much, I mean, not just every economist and every tax specialist who you know might yeah. might make most people including draw, ones that pay a lot of money to give advice on this so, particular say it's silly but actually the sort of groups that you might have thought possibly might have agreed with it if they were thinking it was going to help people on low incomes yeah. for instance child poverty action group yep. they don't like it either they don't see it as working so um, no. look it's a pure, that one is a political decision aimed at the election yeah but let me ask you why because I'm going to go through this a, does anyone actually believe at all we'll be saving 70 cents a day? Because that's what it works out as. Uh, how do we actually know what the price was going to be? Because veggies and fruit always fluctuates anyway. Grant Robertson said the big supermarkets are making huge profits so they can afford to absorb the added costs of administration like they will. Uh, and it's proven overseas, and in fact, there's hardly any discount. It can be as low in some uh, countries as just 30% of what was promised. So basically, we'll be making savings, and here's a real election winner, 21 cents a day, which is $1.50 a week. 
yeah, with well, the well-off benefiting the most. Well, it's an, interest, it's an interesting argument. Why, why not just give $2 billion to those who need yeah. it most? Well, and, and that's the argument of the Child Poverty Action Group, give the money direct. Um, and But it's an interesting argument too because what people are generally saying are, are the supermarket chains, the two big chains, are so greedy they're going to take our money and not you know, and they'll take the money and pocket it rather than give us the discount of the 15% off GS, of GST. But no, tell me anywhere in the world where you get the full 15% you know, well, off. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's been the argument against. But but you asked, well, who who agrees with it? Well, Chris Hipkins is looking at polls and he's obviously looking at, he's obviously getting focus groups yeah, done on it. but and it's it 21 shows, cents a day. I, I know, but most people, the polling seems to show that at the moment, a majority of people actually support Because they're getting the sucked in. They think that well, they're going to get make lots of savings. They, they've they been won't. saying this for some time and it's been an issue around for a long time. So he's, it's been done for purely political reasons and the expectation that it, that it might shift... Sucker some that, people into thinking they're getting a lot more than they are. Possibly, and shift a few people who otherwise might not have voted Labor to vote Labor because they think the, that it's doing something about trying to pull in the costs of well, fresh Well, then let me ask you then. Is this it from Labor? They're putting their hopes of winning this election on 22,000 people getting some paid parental leave in one to three years and 20-something cents off a day off GST. That's it, is it? That's their big election-winning policy, is it? OK, a, that's what I wanted you to get know. A cup, you get a couple of cheap bananas and boom, you're going to vote <laughs> Labor. Now, how embarrassing for the party that keeps attacking National about getting their figures wrong when they got their figures wrong by $240 million from the original press release they sent out. Yeah, that was the original... Well, it was the the press release they sent out under embargo to reporters. That's right. And they corrected it, but they never told the reporters it was wrong. So the re- early reportage of it was based on that incorrect... But they look, they corrected it within a, num- a matter yeah, of hours. Yeah, but so National corrects things too. Well, um, on some cases, if you go back to the um, last election, okay, it, I don't took, want it to. took them a long um, time to... No, I don't actually, want to. You know, so, I don't want to go back to that election. Yeah. I want to talk about this election. The Finance Minister also said we're an outlier with regard to GST on fruit and veggies with regard to other countries, right? Yeah. While neglecting the fact that we're an outlier with capital gains tax. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both. What are you suggesting? So he should have, at the same time... He's saying, we put, well, every other country's, you know, taken it taken off. Taken off. And, but, but every other country's got capital gains tax. They have a comprehensive capital gains tax, yeah. Again, that's a political decision, because in the end, the opposition have mounted a pretty effective campaign where there's broader public opposition to a capital gains tax, and so the government won't go ahead with it. Just how bad are things when a lot of Labor's policies aren't even coming in until 2026. Pretty bad. Um, and the re- but, uh, but also... Pretty bad. Pretty bad, but it also, I suppose... Describe like, pretty bad. Pretty bad. Well, pretty. I'll no. look it up in the dictionary. I mean, no, like exceptionally look, bad? It, it just shows that the government's... Bigly bad? It shows the government's books are very tight. We know that that when 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 the pre pre election update comes out, it will show that clearly the um, probably the government's books are not as in as good a shape as as in the budget. And and there they were sort of struggling. Grant Robertson said after budget there was not a lot of money to throw around, and he promised. He said there would no be there would no be be no great lolly scramble in the election. And I think that's what Labor's doing. They're finding little bits that they can eke out. But they're spreading it over, as you say, three years, because then the future budget's um, allocation of new spending can be used to cover some of those well, why, um, why promises. Why don't you just say, well, everybody, um, vote for us because we're going to give you nothing. But in three years' time, if we're still around, but, we might give you something. But, but we'll tell you what but, it is then. I mean, you, you and others would be accusing them of 
bribes if they were offering some massive multi-billion dollar, I don't know, tax cut or Of extra. course we would. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of the money... Going back to your comparison no. over GST and fresh fruit and veggies, you know, where's the consistency? No, I, I'm just... This is not me. Speaking of uh, party under pressure, valedictory speeches from some who made... No impact whilst here at all. I won't even name them. And then, of course, Elizabeth Kedekede, who said her process was an epic failure of leadership, referring to Shaw and Davidson, who were sitting only a few seats away from her, looking on like this. Yeah. That's what they were looking at. And then Willie Jackson saying to Chris Bishop, get it through your thick head. Tell me how that's not bullying. I mean, come on. Get it through your thick head. Are, tell you, me, are, you, tell that, me. are you that thick? Do you think that's bullying? <laughs> How is that not bullying? It's, it's not bullying. I mean, what we can we can't say this is. Are you telling is, me to get through my thick head that that's not bullying? Yeah, that's right. And if you look at the in the house, no one raised a complaint about. It. I mean, Chris Bishop's not the sort of guy who's going to be um, intimidated by that comment from Willie Jackson. Well, have you I mean, seen Willie Jackson. I'm t- I mean, and in the house, in fact, funnily <laughs> enough, after that answer was given, yeah. National MP Michael Woodhouse raised a point of order. Not to object to the use of the term thick, but just simply because um, Willie Jackson was saying it was related to a comment or or an opinion that Deborah Russell had given 10 years ago, and he said, 10 years ago, it's all changed. And Michael Michael Woodhouse, he objected to that, saying, oh, it didn't matter the amount of time, it was the quote that should have been done. Later in that same exchange, though, the Speaker did require Willie Jackson to get up, withdraw and apologise when he made a reference to the National Party leader, Christopher Luxon, and his rich mates as though they would just raise rents willy-nilly. Oh, yes, right, OK, or willy-willy. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you're not feeling bullied. Ah, uh, well, mm. speaking of policies, this week under urgency, the government passed the Water Services, I've got to make sure I get this right, Water Services Entities Amendment Bill, which in fact replaces four water services, which was going to be three waters, now it's ten waters. Or ten water services. Ten waters, yeah. Yes, yes, Plus yes. this week, the Natural Built Environments Bill and Spatial Planning Bill. In other words, the new RMA. Mm. All gone on the click of a finger if Labor lose. That's right. I mean, it's interesting. All pushed through under urgency. But while they'll become law, they may never actually come into effect because, if obviously, if there's a change of government on October 14, National's been very clear that by Christmas they're all gone. And replaced off. with what? Well, it, well... Not quite clear around resource management. They'll have to go back to the drawing board on that. Um, on In terms of the water services stuff, um, largely back to leaving it to councils um, to, to operate, but hopefully provide them with some encouragement to, to merge themselves, to do it voluntarily rather than to have an imposed, if you like, merger put upon them. It just it's a bit like all this urgency. It just trying, it looks like Labor's just trying to rush things through. Well, look, it's, it's kind of pretty usual up it to an election really where governments of the day want to get le- legislation into law before the election and yet they take urgency to finish yeah. off their business. You know the best policy of the week for me? The Greens with their solar subsidies and tax deductions for landlords. Now, that's smart thinking. Yep, yep. Um, yep. What, how many landlords do you think are now going to vote Green? Oh, I don't think they'll vote Green, but, it's, <laughs> but, 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 but they'd be happy with that. Yeah. You're probably right. Okay, good. Well, that is. <laughs> that's be, be, I'm sorry, I'm feeling a bit thick headed this week. In a week, we saw just how close we could be to having Winston back. Is Seymour right? Do we uh, all have short memories? Uh, Winston saying this government is terrible, but no matter how you look at it, he put them in. 
Well, he did put them in, but then he would argue, as people said, he acted as a handbrake on the government um, for, he put them in. for the first term. Yeah, but he didn't put them in for the second term. No, but the, if he put with, the other lot in in the first term with the COVID and everything like that, then National might have gone in in the second term because they might have looked after us. Possibly, well. possibly. But, I mean, but if you look at the polls now, I mean, there right. is very much, I mean, I would not what do you, bet... What do you mean? I would not bet against New Zealand First making it back in. They're they making no. another surge. Um, and it, it's interesting <sighs> because he lost support up to the 2020 election because he spent his time in the campaign... A, criticising his own government's response to COVID. Yeah. When his strategists, they said, own it, own it, because you were part of the cabinet, but he yeah. wouldn't. He's continued that. In fact, he's doubled down on it, and now it's working for him because the public sentiment around the government's response mm. to COVID has shifted. We'll see. And he's, well, yeah. We'll, we'll see how well it works for him. What's coming in the next few days? Are we finally going to get national tax policy? Not sure about when we'll get that. It's coming, but we'll get more policy so announcements. Christmas. We'll get more policy announcements, obviously, over the next few days. And next week, we'll get more legislation pushed through Parliament as they get mm, into that mad more rush. More insults. More insults. You know, more valedictory speeches. Do we learn more, anything from those valedictory speeches? More valedictory speeches. speeches. Not really, although, I mean, it was interesting, uh, Elizabeth, curious one, because normally the general thing is you go out and you, you, yep. you're nice and you say tell a few yep. jokes and what kind. have you, but um, obviously her departure is, is not under happy circumstances, Bitter. and so um, she let it all out. She sure did. That is something you should never do. That is Beehive Banter with Countdown 23 well and truly underway. And the countdown continues next time. As usual, we appreciate you taking the time to watch or listen. Thank you. NBR are offering a free trial to newcomers. See what all the fuss is about on our flagship website, nbr.co.nz. The government wants a parliamentary select committee to look at how the country should manage the process of adapting to climate change. I'm joined by Climate Change Minister James Shaw. Um, National Simon Watts says, why has it taken so long? Uh, it's not an unreasonable question. Um, I mean, we were intending to introduce a bill this side of the election, but in one of life's great ironies, half of my adaptation team at MFE got scooped up into the cyclone recovery response for the Auckland floods and Cyclone Gabrielle. So that put a real spanner in the works of our, of our work programme. Now, as a result of the cyclone recovery, um, I think the kind of the level of consciousness in the country about like the scale of the challenge, what needs to happen, has has really increased. Um, it's also really clear in my dealings, you know, across the house with people like Simon and others, that there's actually quite a high degree uh, of. Um, consensus at least on the kind of fundamentals there is a big problem it is going to be very expensive it is going to require a you know a good legislative framework and so um, uh, in the absence of being able to get the bill into the house before uh, the election what we said is well actually given that and given that this is one of those multi-generational very big challenges that we have to face as a country um, let's take uh, a bit of extra time to have the select committee look at it first before we do the drafting instructions for the bill. And I think that that means that we'll get a better bill in the long run. And, and, and if you get that better bill, the legislation, then it's not 
presumably not going to be changed around every time there's a change of government. So. Yeah, I mean, you, you, for something like this, I think everybody seems to be kind of saying the right noises, which is that we want something that is enduring, um, and that means multiple changes of government over multiple decades. At the same time, we also know that it's going to have to be dynamic, right? Like the, the kind of solution we come up with now, you know, in 10 years' time, the circumstances will have changed to a point where we want some flexibility in it as well. And, and I think that is something that the select committee is going to have to grapple with, is how do you have something that both endures over time but also allows for those changing circumstances? Well, with those changing circumstances, I mean, you, you know, you talk about the cost. I mean, obviously, when you look at the numbers, they're massive in terms of what it might cost. Yeah. Uh, the government's already obviously got office on the table accepted in Hawke's Bay around sh cost sharing yeah. in terms of those people who, who will move from areas affected by Cyclone Gabriel and then from the Auckland floods. 50-50. Um, if this framework, though, that comes through the legislation is different to that, for instance, more government support or, or not, would it be retrospective? I mean, no, it'll have to be from the moment that the legislation passes. Remember, this is, I mean, you know, Cyclone Gabrielle is certainly the most dramatic of these events, but it's not the only one that's happened. You know, we've had uh, different arrangements in Westport to deal with their. Uh, you know, repeated um, flood and sea level rise events there. Um, we've had uh, Matata, you know, um, Hamoana, we've had kind of, um, we've had Edgecombe, you know, so you've, you've kind of got a, a history of events um, and, and they've all had bespoke solutions. And actually what we need is uh, something that's got more consistency and coherency to it than just making it up every time. Part of that is also about the timeliness. So part of the problem with Cyclone Gabrielle, of course, is that we didn't have a system set up. Uh, and we were kind of, you know, baking the cake and building the kitchen at the same time, which is why it took so long to get some of those initial decisions, because you had to design the system first. What we want to do is to make sure that there's a system in place so that, you know, when you do have another disaster, and there will be many, uh, that you're able to just switch it on. But one of the big challenges, because obviously when you've had a disaster and people have been flooded out and barely escaped with their lives, yeah. I mean, it's a terrible thing for them, but it may be a relatively easy decision to say, I don't want to go back there because I don't want to go through that again. But what, what happens, yeah. though, when you're coming to decisions about managed retreat from those areas that have not yet faced a terrible weather event but are going to at some point in the future. Yeah, well, and actually that's the point, right? You actually, it, it, the overall cost is lower if you take preventative action than reactive action after an event. Um, and and so what you want to do is you actually want to provide an incentive to make sure that people do take preventative action and that they're not kind of leaving it un, until after an event. Now, having said that, we are going to be facing more and more of these kinds of events. So you're going to be, you know, having some people uh, taking action proactively and some who just, you know, won't have managed to get to in time and we will also be having, you know, and more disaster recovery situations like we do in the Hawke's Bay and other parts of the country right now. But you do want a level of consistency in the approach across those because the last thing that you want to do is to provide an incentive people to stay where they are on the basis that they'll get a bigger payout after an event than before an event. So you do, the, the, the kind of framework that we're developing is going to have to be coherent at least pre and, pre and post. And obviously then there's the fiscal cost for the government. How much is that going to, if you like, dictate 
what comes out the other end? Well, I mean, it will be determinative, right? I mean, Grant has said any number of times that the government is not going to be able to cover every economic loss here. Uh, and so we do have to look at the kind of cost-sharing arrangements between central government, local government, the property owner themselves, their bank and their insurance company. And we need to kind of get that mix right without creating any more moral hazard than we already have in the system for people continuing to make decisions that actually put people in harm's way. James Shaw, thank you for your time. Thank you. The contentious Water Services Entities Amendment Bill has passed its third reading today. I'm joined by National's local government spokesperson, Simon Watts. Good morning. So after the election, uh, if you're in government, it's gone, this legislation? Absolutely. Within the first 100 days, we've committed to that. Uh, we believe in reform in the water industry sector. Uh, we know that that needs to be done, uh, but the way in which the government are proposing to do it isn't the right way to do it. Um, we've got our policy, Local Water Done Well, that will deliver the outcomes that we need for our communities. Given the political disagreement on this particular approach, I mean... Are you critical of the government of rushing it through under urgency to get it into law before the election? Well, look, when you stand back, there's actually a number of areas across the parties where we have agreement on. Um, the, the agreement around that we do need to do reform, uh, the agreement that there is a deficit around infrastructure, uh, but the elements around you know, the entity model and the co-governance in particular uh, were entities that were never up for discussion throughout this process. Uh, and I think as a result, you know, the government have lost the public of New Zealand and local government as part of that, and uh, the, you know, the trust does not exist, so we're going to have to reset that relationship and move us forward. What's your message, though, to the government, I suppose, the Department of Internal Affairs, whatever? Should work on this stop till after the election? I mean, presumably now it's come through. They could start setting these entities up, even start the process of appointing people to these jobs, as they have to the four water services entities that were set yeah. up by the previous legislation. I mean, you know, it could well be in train by the time a, a new government um, comes into power, couldn't it? Well, that's right. You know, 51 days between now and the election, be very clear, under a national-led government, the local government minister pretty much on day one will send a letter uh, through to uh, the Ministry of uh, DIA and do stop work in regards to the Three Word Walkers program. Uh, so that's what's going to happen under us. Uh, you know, and our view is, is that actually, and this is what I suggest to the Minister, is that because we've got such clear points of difference between the political parties, you know, surely let's not waste money between now and then. Um, you know, and, uh, but our position's clear, the Minister are very clear that he just wants to continue on and, and ram this through, and uh, you know, that's their prerogative, but we don't agree with them. So but your message would be, hey, stop work on this for the moment. Let's, Look, wait, let's wait to see what the election result is. That, that's um, exactly what my point was last night with the Minister, uh, but the Minister wasn't willing to listen to that. And if National is um, leading the government after the election, OK, you put a stop to it, how soon before you could then put up uh, a proposal to deal with, as, as, as you say, everyone agrees, the, the issue of how, how we do actually upgrade and maintain these um, three waters infrastructure. Look, we see that we need to provide certainty through to our local government sector as soon as possible. We've committed to repealing the legislation. There's four acts that need to be repealed. We'll do that within the first 100 days, and that's a commitment by the party. Uh, and then we'll follow through pretty soon after that with replacement legislation, primarily around economic regulation, which is the key enabler of savings and benefits. In the interim, you know, I'm working and have conversations with 
our local government across the country around encouraging them to be thinking around what are their plans uh, post uh, 14th of October under a national league government and making sure that they're ready to roll uh, with an alternative model, many of which already have thought about that and many of which are already ready to go. Some, though, will require, won't they, help to raise the money they need? I mean, so would, would a, a national lead government give thought to central government involvement in either providing the funding or, or somehow supporting councils raising that money through debt? Yeah, absolutely. We acknowledge that not everyone's at the same point uh, and that there are going to be a number of uh, territorial authorities that are going to need more support than others. Uh, that's why our model is not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, we've got funding within our policy, that transitional funding that deals with helping those that are quite far behind raising them up. Uh, and we're also going to have all funding and financing mechanisms on the table in order to help them uh, do and deliver the infrastructure they need to do. The challenge that we can continually here is, is that under the government's policy of simply removing debt from the balance sheets of councils, it's just going to disappear into into this ether and, and really from our point of view it's left pocket right pocket uh, you know someone is still going to have to fund that debt that debt's still going to exist irrespective of it sitting outside of council balance sheet and that person is either the ratepayer or the taxpayer and we continually hear everything's going to be fine you know just simply moving the debt reduces the burden that's just not the reality. Simon Watts, thank you for your time. Thank you. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. This week, the government announced the end of the last remaining COVID-19 restrictions. To discuss, I'm joined by NBR's political editor, Brent Edwards. So, Brent, is everyone happy with the end of these restrictions or not? A lot of people are, but there are some groups, obviously, that aren't those people that are immunocompromised, um, disabilities, um, perhaps who deal with the elderly. I think because, let's go back, what they've dropped is they've dropped both the, the mandatory seven-day isolation period if you have COVID, mm. uh, and also, though, they've also dropped the mandatory requirement to wear masks in, in health settings, hospitals, aged care, uh, and the like. And so there, you know, some do have a concern that they'll be more exposed to COVID, those who might be more vulnerable. And you've got to remember um, that, you know, we're still getting 700 cases mm. a day, you know, 20 deaths a week, roughly. Um, you know, and so far this year, you know, the number of people who have died, you know, due to COVID um, is, you know, I think three or three times the road toll. And, you know, given all of the concerns about crime, you know, about 47 times the, the death rate from homicide. So, uh, it, you know, while it's kind of officially and formally over the government's pandemic response, because there are now no sort of um, restrictions in place, COVID hasn't gone away. And it's wintertime still. Why axe them now? Well, the, the government's argument, and, and to be fair, it, it's, you know, it said this at the beginning of winter when they introduced it, that it would review and review and then review towards the end of winter. And, and it signalled very strongly that they would drop it if things were... So what they're saying is, we've got through winter pretty well, the hospitals have coped, the number of cases going to hospital um, with COVID are not onerous... Um, and so, and what they expected, they had expected through the winter to have these peaks and troughs, so that for, and that hasn't happened. The, the, the number of COVID cases has remained relatively steady and, and dropping away a bit. So, you know, the sense is um, from the health officials is that it's it's safe now, given 
you know, the immunisation rates, um, you know, vaccination rates, um, and, and, and pe- you know, the fact that people have got some sort of herd immunity, if you like, from having had it, that it's now safe to drop those last remaining um, restrictions. Was it timed for the election, though? Look, that, that's been a suggestion because obviously election is, is two months away and it probably isn't unhelpful, if you like, that, you know, before an election campaign starts that, you know, the government can say, hey, you know, we've formally finished with our pandemic response. But as I said, the, the government had signalled this quite a while ago that it was going, it was looking at this and it was, and it had been under a lot of pressure um political pressure from the opposition and some public pressure, given that most other countries have long got mm. rid of these sorts of rules and restrictions. So, um, I, I, and I don't think by get, getting rid of it, it's going to suddenly, um, you know, enhance its election prospects. And so you do, will this help Labor, though? Uh, look, no, I mean... If you go back to 2020, Labor had a unprecedented election result based on its response to COVID through that year. Uh, this year, I mean, clearly after three years, people have got frustrated with both COVID and the response to it. And it was interesting because at his um, post-Cabinet press conference this week, the Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, acknowledged a couple of regrets about the way the government responded to COVID um, and one of them was that the, you know, that Auckland lockdown went on too long. And of course, if you look at the polling, Labor's support in Auckland is probably particularly shaky. Um, no, I don't think this announcement's going to change people's views around what they think, the, if, if they think the government was just too tough, um, held, you know, put in place lockdowns for too long. I, I don't think it's going to shift public sentiment around any of that. So was he trying to sympathise on purpose? To win oh, those Aucklanders back? No, no, I don't think he was sympathising on purpose. I think he was just speaking, actually, relatively honestly. I mean, he, he kind of said it was a very, and it was, very, very difficult three and a half years for the whole country, but also a very difficult three and a half years for the government and particularly for those ministers, as he said, who had to make really, really tough decisions. Um, overall, he thinks they got it right. And if you look at, and he points out, rightly so, in terms of the health response, the you know fatalities for the first couple of years at least, I mean, you know, New Zealand's um, you know, death rate from um, COVID was well down. And he said even now the death rate, what, death's about two and a half, three thousand total, I think, you know, but without these measures, he said it would have been around 15,000 if we'd followed the, the US sort of um, sort of approach. So um, not not actually backing down from saying the government's mm. done generally a good job, but acknowledging that there were you know, a couple of mistakes maybe made along the way. And from here on in, I guess individuals and businesses can make up their own minds about how they treat COVID? Well, that's it. It is, it's, it is up to individuals. So if you get sick, if you test positive for COVID um, under the previous rules, it was mandatory for you to stay home. Although it was never policed. I mean, it, they didn't have police officers, you know, standing at the train station or what have you, checking people and saying, no, you've got to go home. Yeah. You know, so it was always actually relatively voluntary in that sense. But now there's no government requirement to stay home, so it is up to individuals. I mean, you'd imagine most people would stay home and, and at least until they felt well and, you know, t- you know, maybe until they tested negative. And you'd imagine most businesses would want people to stay home because if they go into work while they're infected, infectious with COVID, they're likely to pass it on to other people. And then you could have a much worse case in your workplace of having people 
a lot more people off sick. So I'd imagine most workplaces, you know, will have, you know, and I think it's it's happened over COVID where people mm. are sort of saying, well, hold it, if you're feeling unwell, stay home because a you'll get better quicker, but also it means your workmates won't get sick. Brent Edwards, thank you. NBR columnist Bridget Morton has joined a long line of economists and tax specialists criticising Labor's policy of removing GST from fruit and vegetables. She joins me now. What's wrong with it? <laughs> well, I think, you know, a long line of tax specialists and economists have really pulled apart the policy elements of it. But it's always been kind of sold, I think, particularly, you know, by Labour, is really that this is what the people want, so it's mm. good politics. But my argument is that it's not actually even good politics. And a few things there. One... It's a really little amount of money, and I think most people um, are wising up to the fact that it will make very little difference actually to their household budget, particularly over a long term. Second of all, I think people realise that actually it's really hard to implement. It's likely to actually cost considerably more than what they actually gain. And so people are like, well, what's the actual point? Are they actually making a difference? Therefore, do they get the political win out of it? I mean, will it be? I, I know. I mean, I know. I can understand the argument about having a pure form of tax that applies across all things without exception, but will it be that hard? I mean, people have raised, oh, what about this? But for most of us, we walk in a supermarket and we know what the fresh fruit and veggies are, don't we? In terms of what they cost, you mean? Or, or in what they are, because the argument has been, oh, will, will that fit, will that, you know, as though there's a whole range of elements that will be difficult to determine which is fresh fruit and vegetables and which is not. That's I think there will definitely be some elements. And I know yeah. from my time living in Australia that I wasn't always clear on what was, you know, exempt and what was sort of not. I think some of the examples that have been put out there, you know, about, you know, pineapple, for instance. So supposedly if it's sort of diced and frozen, then that's okay. But then perhaps if it's sort of treated in any way, I know my smoothie mix has some sort of turmeric or something in it, that would not. So, you know, I think some of those things are complicated. But I actually don't think that that's the main issue because it's not necessarily about the consumer you know, be able to choose which one is actually about how much it costs for the IRD to implement that system, how much time they spend on talking about diced versus whole pineapples, and how much time then the stores have to do in terms of sorting their systems out to make them compliant. And we know from the overseas systems, like Australia, that that is actually very, very complex and actually takes a lot of cost. And for the tiny benefit, and that's what I say from a politics point of view, is it just seems a little bit naive to think that voters won't wake up to the fact that whilst it nice it sounds up here, actually when you dig under it, it actually doesn't work. But there has been a public appetite for this for, for a number of years, right? I mean, it's, this issue has been around for a number of years where people have talked about should take GST or fresh fruit and vegetables. And a lot of it appears to have been driven by, you know, a, a public demand for that. And I'm just wondering how much will the public take note of the sort of detail that you're talking about and how many will just say, oh, great, they've taken the 15% GST off fresh fruit and veggies. Yeah, I think there's been a public appetite for cheaper of veggies, fruit yeah. and veggies, without a doubt. But I think people, um, you know, the whole thing with announcing this policy that people actually start to look at it. And in some ways, if Labor had left their run a little bit later and, say, announced this in the last week of the campaign, they might have got away with it as a sort of sugar-hit policy. But we've got eight weeks, basically, to examine this in detail, pull it apart, have every press conference have a different fruit or veggie pulled up by a journalist, for them to be undermined in terms of this policy and people realise that it's not as good as it seemed in the beginning. But, you know, if the amounts are relatively small, then National's going to face the same thing as in it on its tax cut policy in terms of lifting thresholds, because certainly for people on lower incomes, the amount of money they get is pretty minimal under that change. So 
you'll expect that Labour politicians and that will do the similar sort of thing about pulling out of a t- you know graph showing how much better off people will be and it you know, they'll try and do the same thing to undermine Nationals policy too, won't they? Yeah, I think so. First of all, we haven't actually seen Nationals tax policy, so I think we probably need to see the well, whole I'm, package. I, yeah, I'm basing it on yeah. the, the, what they've <coughs> talked about so then, far in terms But the of difference there is, say, hypothetically, say that Nationals tax policy gave you $7 a week more than what you have mm. currently. That $7 is basically ring fence. That's going to you no matter mm. what. Compared to taking, you know, 30 cents off your carrots and, and 12 cents off your broccoli, we know over time, and the evidence shows overseas, that the supermarkets start to absorb that back up because they, they can do so. They can put their prices back up. So that is not sort of ring-fenced and guaranteed. So it's really hard, I think, whilst Labor would make those arguments, for them to say, in the long term, absolutely, you're always going to save that 4 to $5 a week compared to actually, you look at the hard numbers under, say, a tax adjustment, you will actually get that money in your pocket. I mean, given, I suppose, the state of the political debate and, and economic debate, I mean, it doesn't, will any of that make much difference to the way people think about where they're going to vote anyway? I think people definitely want to feel like somebody's making a difference on the cost of living, which is weird that GST policy sounds nice to begin with, but when they realise it's actually not making a difference, I think that is what's going to hurt them. I think for most part, people are going to wait. You know, we've got lots of different sort of things happening here. We know childcare costs are big. We've seen both the major parties put out big, decent sort of policies on childcare. We saw the paid parental leave debate. I think there's a number of factors in which people are looking at actually what's the difference going to be made in my household. And, I mean, I guess the other argument people have made about the GST of fresh fruit and veggies, everyone gets it, including the well-off. But I'm wondering on some of the other policies that, say, that Labor's putting up with that around working for families. I mean, they'll be arguing, won't they, that they are focused on the people who need it most and that, you know, is that, is that, well, uh, what, how's that debate going to play out, you know, I guess, across-the-board tax cuts versus working for families focused I think we've seen you know, the working for families element of Sunday's announcement has got very little airtime. And in some ways I think that's because Labour hasn't actually pushed it that hard because it's not coming in for most part, lots of people until 2026, yep. after possibly even after the next election. So it's a double election sort of promise. So I don't think that if people are looking at, well, what's going to benefit me, they're not going to say, well, in three years' time it looks like I'll get a bit more out of that better. So too little, too late? I think so. Bridget Morton, thank you for your time. And that's been this week's Live from the Hive. Thanks for listening.